everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Don't Give Up the Shit Podcast. This is episode 38. Another interview. Uh, there's going to be a lot of these coming up. Uh, I'm going to try to mix and spin the yarns to give you guys a break from such long podcasts because this is not quite as long as the last few, but it's still pretty long. It's about 90 minutes. And it's this one is a uh, somebody that reached out to me based on some of the interviews I've been doing and especially uh, the question I've been posing about the distrust between the Chiefs mess and Union Listed. Uh, they provided a lot of really great feedback uh, in the form of a point paper that was really, really well thought out. Uh, I think it was great. It, he's a little more critical of himself. <laughs> I do the same thing. Um, but it's I, there was really, really good points in it, the biggest of which was real or perceived. And that's the key. Real or perceived, there's a problem. And, it, and it's kind of... <sighs> I think it's something that's missed and it's something that's used as an excuse, right? So it's it's missed in that no matter what, if they perceive it to be a problem, it's a problem, right? I'm going to react the same way to a problem if I perceive there to be a problem and if there actually is a problem. And a lot of times I'm forming that opinion based on one side perspective. Like I only got, I've only got the context of my side of it. And so if I perceive it to be real, it's going to be real, right? So the importance of that concept, I think, is lost on a lot of people when addressing the the problem, which perceived a real is still a problem because junior enlisted act like we're the evil empire. And so when you talk to chiefs about it, they're like, ah, that's just junior enlisted be a junior enlisted. Well, yeah, OK, maybe that's true. Maybe it's not. But regardless, they're reacting the same way. So we have the same problems, all of which need to be addressed if we want to be successful as leaders. So I thought it was really it kind of blew my mind when I thought about it through the context that he presented it. I think it just triggered my brain to go down that that rabbit hole. But it was good. And uh, I also think that and I talk about this with him in the podcast, but it's like I also think that it's something that when you do have that conversation uh, and, and you say there's a problem that the receiving end, the entity that's being criticized uses it as an excuse that there's not a problem and we don't need to do anything because they're only perceiving a problem that doesn't exist. Again, it's still a problem because they're reacting as if it's real. So I really enjoyed this conversation. Super intelligent, uh, super well thought out. Uh, we got interrupted a few times by his minis, but it was <laughs> it was pretty funny. I, I, I'll, I will edit the, most of that out, but you'll probably hear us laugh a few times about it. And without further ado, here's an interview with an enlisted sailor, uh, first class petty officer, on his perspective on the issues between junior enlisted and the chief's mess. And then... Uh yeah, I, basically the way I plan on starting is I'll just uh, have you do a quick like background intro, provide as much context as you want. Um, I know a lot of the people I interview are not not wanting to put their identities out there and stuff. So just provide as much context as you want, uh, background experience, your career, stuff like that, that led to, led you to where you are now. Uh, and then we'll start tackling this outline, man. Yeah, okay. Um I don't know. Uh, as far as background goes, I wouldn't say that I've got anything particularly special. Um, I, I certainly can't hold the candles to either uh, yourself or uh, Master Chief Kingsbury in terms of uh, depth or breadth of my naval experience. Um, uh, I don't know. Uh, that interview you did with uh, the former GM, too, I'd say I'm right about in there. Just, okay. uh, just an everyday LS1, I'd say mid-career 
got a couple deployments. I got a got a couple different commands under my belt at this point, but uh, yeah, no, not nothing too crazy. Right, and then we started talking about this um, based on. My the initial Reddit thread I posted, kind of asking the question and trying to get feedback on what's the the issue that's creating this large mistrust, basically between the Chiefs mess and what my opinion has developed into being everyone. Uh, I, initially, I was very focused on uh, junior enlisted relationship for obvious reasons, right? But the more conversations I've had with the people that have willingly provided that feedback, it seems like it's an everybody thing. Um, and which makes complete sense. So, uh, we talked about this topic and you're like, I'm going to write you a point paper. (laughs) And then it took, it took a while, which it's understandable because you put a lot of time and effort into this. Uh, and that's kind of what we're going to, we're going to tackle today. Um, and, and you can lead into the, the first bullet point that you do have with my position on the mess. Uh, but kind of what just generally before we get into details, what do you think the problem is? All right. So my position, uh, my perception of the problem is uh, that a, a huge number of blue shirts uh, believe that the chief's mess is populated with uh, sort of the the evil chief, right? The bad chief. Right. Or if they're not if they're not bad people, then they're just substandard or they're ineffective for um, one reason or another. Um, yeah, and, and the really because I, I, you sent me the point paper for feedback, and when I was going through it, that was the thing that jumped out at me as the most, uh, I guess, like impactful piece of information was that, and, and I talk about this in relation to, to, to leadership and how juniors perceive their leaders, but it's, and it, so it's kind of the same line of thinking, but the way that you put it, like punched me in the face where it was, it was like, it doesn't matter if the, if the issue is real or perceived. And I think that's one of the biggest issues in having this conversation, even with chiefs where you're like, Hey, uh, we're, we're perceived to be ineffective. They're like, yeah, but that's not true. Right. And I, I just read this article that uh, it, it got my brain moving in this direction uh, last night about, did you see the, I think I shared it on the Facebook page. It's a USNI article about the Shiloh, uh, USS bread and water. You read that? I read the Navy times one. They just got okay. the FOIA request. Yeah. 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 Well, maybe it was a Navy times article. I thought it was USNI either way. Same information, right? Where, um, where they the command was getting cl- command climate surveys over and they got like three in a row annual command climate surveys saying morale was just terrible that all kinds of crazy stuff about the CO and the structure of the command and and how they got run into the ground etc but because they were accomplishing these like mission metrics everybody was just like ah that's not true and and I've been on the simio end of it where we've done command climate surveys and I've sat in there debriefing the triad and we're like, Hey, these are the big issues, blah, blah, blah. And they're like, just coming up with all these reasons to discount them. Like, Oh, that's not true because of this. And no, that's not true because of that. And it's like, this is like, <laughs> even if it's not true in your mind, right? Even if you can make some really compelling impartial case for it, not being true, the perception is that it is true. So that's the problem. <laughs> and it's like, it's, I feel like, in, in many different cases in the Navy where we have these issues perceived or real, right? Even if, even if you can make a really impartial compelling case with evidence and, and all kinds of things you could reference uh, in, in like the scientific approach to just be like, this is unequivocally wrong. It's still perceived by the people that matter, the people on the receiving end of whatever communication 
device is is putting that out there that there's a problem then there's there's a problem in that it's perceived that way and they're going to react to that perception like it is real so you're you're still left with the same problem i thought that was super super interesting yeah, I think uh, I think that really uh, really gets down to the the meat and bones of what I was going for in my point paper. I, it wasn't uh, super well developed. Uh, I'm not entirely pleased with it, but uh, but in general, yeah, I would say that's that's right where that's right where I need to home it in on uh, on right. further further revisions. Right, and I yeah, I that's the the part that I I I don't know. It hit, it hit me the hardest. I thought it was super interesting. Where do you fall on? the perceived or real problem or is it like a mixture of both? Like I, I feel like most of the time we operate in a gray area, but do you being on the side that you're on, right? Like, so you're, you're kind of in this precipice of making chief potentially, like you've been around that long where you're, you're a first class ready to potentially go that direction. Is it? And so you have like almost all of the enlisted experience you're going to get on this side of on like the blue shirt side of the chief's mess. So like, where do you fall on the, on the idea of perceived or real problem, or is it a combination of both? Well, uh, first off, I wouldn't necessarily say that I'm ready to, uh, to make that jump. I'm eligible to make that jump. There's, right. there's a bit of a difference, but uh, right. uh, I would say there's definitely, uh, definitely a, a mixture of both. Um, some portion of this problem is a, is a genuine concern about uh, substandard quality. And another portion of this problem is, that the perception is so, so big and so blown up in what it is. Right. Right. Yeah. So, um, every now and again, uh, especially when you're active on social media, you'll come across these, uh, I call them chief hate threads where everybody just comes up with a million and one reasons why the mess is absolute total garbage. Right. I think, I haven't seen that in the wild, right? I've absolutely seen toxic leadership, but it's, it's only one or two people. Right. Uh, it's not like the whole mess is absolutely infested with genuinely toxic human beings. Right. Um, but uh, I think the reason why we see so much of that, there's uh, there's a bit of a double whammy in, in um, cognitive biases. Um, so there's this, there's this negativity bias where people are more likely to remember and put a heavier weight on negative things uh, right. as compared to uh, sort of an equal weighted good thing, right? So um, I've got a thousand and one small thank yous that I that I owe all of the chiefs that I've ever worked with. And I can maybe remember three, four, right? Chief has done me a solid, a whole hell of a lot. And I couldn't, I couldn't list them all. But you can bet I know every single person <laughs> Who recommended yeah. no on my special liberty chair? Like I right. know who it was, where they were, what I was doing. You know, so you tend to remember all of the all of the bad experiences that you've had, um, right? A lot more than all the positive experiences. And then you you hit that with a with another cognitive uh, bias or failure, the fundamental attribution error. Um, so that's the tendency for people to uh, to ascribe behaviors to fundamental underlying personality attributes of a person as opposed to all of the potential situational explanations, right? Right. So uh, if chief is is really giving you a hard time, um, there's a tendency to think that that's because chief is really just a hard ass, 
right? Um, you or don't, don't ne- like you personally, right? Or they don't like you personally. Um, and it's easy to forget that Chief is is an actual human being, uh, right. and he's got his own problems, right? Maybe the department head is breathing down his neck, or maybe there's something going on right. at home. Right. You know, there's a there's a hundred and one things, but you know, you just think, oh, well, that Chief sucks. Yeah. Um, you know, so then when you when you combine these things, you you start forgetting about all of the all of the good stuff and you only remember the positive stuff and, and you you ascribe that to them being bad people as opposed to being bad situations um, you know so then you come up with with this uh, perception in your head that oh I don't remember a lot of good chiefs right. but I remember a lot of bad chiefs so right. most chiefs must, must be, be bad. bad exactly yeah, yeah. Right. and I think we've set ourselves up for this a little bit too I was talking to Uh, Paul Kingsbury about that when we talk about the mission, vision and guiding principles and the the chief's creed and and you look at the content of those and really analyze it, we've created this problem for ourselves and that we created an unattainable standard where we've built up this image of we're always right and we always have the answer. And we have gone through all these experiences that have set us up to be these like, I don't know if infallible is the right word. Maybe it is. I think that's the perception we've created leaders, right? Like these, like we can't go wrong. And if, if for some reason I don't know the answer, I know where to find it. So there's just not really, I don't have the ability to have a weakness. And so it's like, we've created this problem ourselves by building a, building a image of, you know, Hey, we've got it. There's this. And then we've also built the image of all the negativity of like the shady stuff that goes on inside the chief's quarters and everything's getting swept under the rug and the fat chief can't pass a PRT, but somehow he passes like that kind of stuff. Hmm. Yeah, for sure. No, but there's uh, there's definitely some portion of the, the structure of the mess. Uh, I think that enables this sort of uh, this sort of negative thinking, uh, right. the pile on effect. Right. Yeah. Um, so when I put on third class and when I put on second class, uh, it was a thing out on the weather decks. I got a, a certificate and a handshake from the skipper, right? But then I was right back in the cruise mess. I was in the office by the end of lunch. Um, all of my other sailors could just, like, I didn't change. I was just, now I'm LS2, now I'm LS3 or, or whatever. Right. Um, but that jump uh, from first class to chief is a mile wide gap, especially yeah. when you compare it to those other things. So you're, you're really, um, you're really making it very easy to sort of silo all these people. Once they make chief, they're not a sailor anymore. Now they're a chief, right? He's moved right. out of the birthing. I never right. see him on the mess decks anymore. <laughs> He's hardly in his office. Doesn't yeah. wear the same uniform I do. Mm-hmm. You know, it's got a different work schedule, all this stuff. So he's not, he's not like me anymore. Right. Um, and I think that that, again, self-inflicted wound, a lot of which I, I went in submarines, I see a certain degree of it, but we're in such close quarters and we're such a small crew that it's almost impossible to create some of the divisions that I hear about, right? Like birthing. Sure. It happens. Um, like we have our own birthing area. Like basically we call it the chief's quarters. So it's like the, there's a little lounge area. It's really small. And then it's got an attached head and attached birthing. And it's all behind the one door that you would go knock on. Right. So it's, it is, that is separate. Right. And that's generally where you'll find your chief hanging out. If he's not in, in the work center, Outside of that, though, super easy access. Uh, they're always around. We have it. It's almost built into our culture that like maintenance and the things going on in the work center that the chiefs 
like it's he's there like he's there supervising maintenance or if, especially if something breaks unexpectedly like the troubleshooting like he'll get relief from watch to go supervise the troubleshooting like that's just the expectation that the commanding officer is going to have so i think that it's for me it's kind of hard to see some of them but i keep getting them communicated that it's so much worse in other communities and i think that the the cries that you would hear if you tried to change any of it about your like burning our tradition down to the ground right i think you could maintain a lot of the stuff that people have an emotional attachment to while getting rid of rid of a lot of the barriers that that handicap our ability to communicate with sailors or like connect with them on a level that we need to 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 effectively lead them right like i can't i can't relate to them in the way that I, I could before because of all the things you just said, right? Where I'm in a different uniform. I have a, I'm not a, like perceived to not be a sailor anymore. I'm, I'm a chief. I'm separate in every way. They don't see me in the same way. They're not even allowed to talk to me in the same way. You know, like you'll see a chief that doesn't leave a ship immediately after getting pinned. It's constantly correcting people on how, Oh, you got to call me chief now and stuff like that. It's like, got it. Like the military bearing good order and discipline is a thing and it's real and it's important, but, how much should it change? I guess, you know what I mean? Cause I saw that at a joint assignment where I was, I saw soldiers and Marines and an airmen getting promoted and it kind of happened. Like you just described, they put another stripe on the ceremony happened. Everybody congratulated them. Maybe their job changed because they just got promoted. They got more responsibility, but they were the same human wearing the same uniform, still an airman. The pride was still in. I'm an airman. I'm a Marine. I'm a soldier, right? It wasn't, well, now I'm a chief. And not like the pride, because that's something that me and Master Chief Kingsbury talked about was the pride in the Navy Chief, Navy pride stuff. Instead of that, why isn't it just pride in being a, a United States sailor? Why isn't it built in the same model as like a Marine where they're just they're a Marine? Like I've got a lot of family like the uh, some uncles that were Vietnam Marines and that they're still they still have that same pride that you see in Marines running around base. <laughs> Yeah, so I just I think that we can get to a place where you could tear down a lot of those barriers and still maintain the things that you would see a lot of chiefs flipping out about if we tried to restructure it. You could still maintain a lot of those traditions and and heritage stuff without without having all these barriers in the way. Yeah, um, there's there's certainly some things uh, about the chiefs mess that I don't necessarily want. Uh, reintegrated back into the blue shirts, um, the birthings for sure. Right. Right. Um, way back when I was, you know, LSSN, um, I spent all dang day with my chief. Believe me, I did not want yeah, yeah. to hang out with chief <laughs> well, in the birthing yeah. at the and end of the day. You wouldn't be able to be yourself either. So it's of course, cause that's the, it's, it's a two way street there where like, Lord knows we want a place where we can go in, shut the door and let our hair down. Right. Like and just say things we can't say in the work center and vent and, you know, talk trash and whatever. And then same thing for you guys. You got to have somewhere to go. And it's a it's a warship. So it's the where it where is there to go, especially in a submarine? The only place is birthing. Some of the like the tea holes that I'm on now, the ones, the boomers, um, there's they have like a cruise lounge and that's that's where they go. But I mean, there's. The way that a submarine structured, like if I'm sit a, a, a deck above you, I could hear you. <laughs> so it's like you got to, you know, there's got to be a place where you can go mm-hmm. and it's a space of your own. And yeah, yeah, you should uh, you should try and get underway with uh, a carrier at some point in time. I So I, I, I would love to. So I, I um, I've been on one. I've toured one. Uh, I've toured a destroyer. We did a bunch like when I was at the A school, we used to do these things where we take uh, a school students down to like the Norfolk waterfront. 
so I've been on like an Amphib and a couple others, never underway, but I mean, I've, I've walked around them, uh, kind of saw how it worked a little bit, but it, it was generally focused on like the food service side of things. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I, I almost went warrant for that reason. Cause I was like, man, it'd be really cool to go see the rest of the Navy. Like, and, and I'm like a, I have a short attention span in ways where it's like, I don't, I don't want to go do the same thing twice. So I, when I, I was staring down the barrel of going back to a submarine and doing a second chiefs tour, I'm like, it's going to, I did this already. And I did it on a like special projects platform. So I'm like, everything's downhill from here. If I go back and do the same job, I'm like, I want a new challenge. And so they almost had me. Um, I just really like being a chief. So they kind of, and I wanted to be a CMC someday. So that's kind of what kept me around. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think it's super interesting and I would love to, if, especially if I continue for a long time, there's a lot of guys that are cobs on submarines that you go the CMC route and then they end up being like CMCs of squadrons or destroyers or carriers or whatever. So that'd be kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, well, I, uh, I kind of feel like we're, we're exploring a tangent. I know I've got, Oh yeah. Yeah. You got to rein me in, man. Talent. Yeah, well, I, you, gotta, you know, I, I typed up the little outline there, and I'm like, nope, nope, we're not hitting that. Yeah, yeah, and and that's how I'll talk forever, man. So just keep me focused. So, what are there any other like the things you said you didn't want pulled from the mess into the into the blue shirt realm? Is there anything else? Any to other be, examples? To be quite honest, um, it hasn't really been the focus of my attention. Uh, right. As far right. as I, like, as far as I've been thinking about this, I've been I've been talking with people and trying to figure out why it is that there's. Uh, so much of this perception, um, yeah. you know, where does that come from? Is there some way to tell how much is real and how much is perceived? So I, I, I've been thinking more about that and a lot less about how we should reintegrate the mess into the, into the general crew better, or if we even should, honestly. Right. Um, right. But yeah, that's definitely something I, I want to explore at some point, but, uh, let's move on to the, the, lack of preparedness this is like my favorite topic ever so like enlisted leadership development and education like uh that we're not preparing sailors to lead so that we're not spending the time and effort and resources to prepare them on their way up so they get to the chief's mess and they're ill-equipped oh absolutely um i know uh, i've i've talked with some people before about my own uh po indoc experience uh and it's it's in the surface fleet, at least it mirrors a lot of what i've heard from other people uh for instance my own third class uh, in dock, there's like a little, uh, little PQS for it. Um, mm. and I was told, you know, the PQS doesn't matter. You're just a third. It's not like you're actually going to be in charge of systems or people or whatever. So, right. you know, don't worry about that. Let me tell you about how everyone in your work center is a fuck up. And that was, that was great. That was my, uh, that was my very first LPO, um, sitting me down and talking trash about the Alpo and the RPPO and the work center soup. And then I got to sit down with the Alpo who told me all the ways that the LPO is trash. Um, <laughs> and then they just signed off the thing. And I don't think we right. actually, I don't think we actually touched any of it. Um, and my, uh, one of my other PO in doc experiences, uh, I had the whole thing signed off by a single chief over the course of an afternoon, right? It was Friday. Uh, Chief's got some red checks and there's a GQ scheduled for later. So don't have time for this. Right. Scratch it away. Um, The the only the only PO in doc that I actually 
you know, sat down and listened to some guest speakers for him. Uh, it was basically worthless. Um, yeah, yeah. And I, that's how my Cobb qualifications have gone, where it's generally been, I get this. Well, I've, I've observed you over the course of however many months or even years, right? Uh, and just blazing it off. And they're just like, oh, yeah, you're ready. And it's like, well, that's not the, like this is an OQE, like validate that I know something about Sapper, validate that I know something about the Simeo program or Keiko. Like there's a lot of stuff on here that I'm going to be in the manager of as a, a senior enlisted on a submarine. It's like you sh- the, the whole point is that you validate that I'm not an idiot. And like we end up with people that are ill equipped in those positions because we're not not even using the systems that we have in place effectively, which there are some systems in place. Like I, I have a, I, you know, I have my issues with the way that we used to do command delivered leadership training and how it was, it was unrealistic for the reasons you just described, right? Like chiefs, the work centers, the leaders that they're trying to put that on are already overwhelmed with everything else. And now you're trying to throw this on their plate too, or, uh, Hey, we want you to, d- we want you to deliver like really robust in-depth leadership development training to your juniors. Yeah. Okay. When am I going to do that? I've got maintenance to do. I've got, you know, things to load logistics, planning, blah, blah, blah. There's a lot going on. That's going to pr- preclude you generally from being able to do that. If you're on shore duty, it's a different story, but yeah. Um, do you, how much do you know about the NLEC ELD stuff? Honestly, uh, I, I don't know a whole lot other than right. it's coming. Um, yeah, I'm uh, I'm holding my breath on that one. Uh, yeah, obviously, it's going to take some time to uh, flesh out all of the courses and then roll it out. And then after it is all rolled out, uh, we'll have to see whether or not it is actually everybody gets off the ship, and right. goes to a schoolhouse, or right. some people get off the ship, and yeah. Then, when they start getting out of the schoolhouse, it's going to take some time for, for those people to all populate the fleet again. So, Right. My fear, too, is it's they keep saying it's, it's going to be a requirement eventually. Like, we got, got to get it all fully stood up, and then it's going to become a requirement, much like Indoc used to be, kind of. Um, <laughs> and, and that's nice, but they said the Senior Enlisted Academy was supposed to be a requirement for personnel going up for Master Chief. And then they just keep waving it because we didn't get enough people through the senior enlisted academy because it's a, it's a brick and mortar schoolhouse. There's only one of them for the entire Navy. It's 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 not fair to hold all those eligibles accountable to an unattainable standard. So I, I like my fear is the same thing's going to happen. Um, the difference is they're standing up based like they have like these NLIC detachments that they're going to set up in fleet concentration areas. And then they're the, the model is they're going to certify a bunch of facilitators that are ideally on shore duty uh and then those that those resources because we have way more bandwidth are going to take the fleet sailors as they can get signed up for the classes into the classes do them right there as close to the operational unit as possible and then like because we're just grabbing a classroom or a theater or whatever in a building that's on the waterfront uh is usually what's happening and then delivering the, the the training but uh, I've been trying to get into a facilitator class for almost six months now, and they kept canceling them because they didn't have enough of the people certified to train the facilitators. So it's like there was no classes for a guy like me to get uh, qualified as a facilitator so that I could then deliver the courses that need to be delivered. So there's definitely a just like a logistics problem uh, where there's we, we have the demand, but we don't have the resources yet. But they're they're in the it's in its infancy. I have heard. I have a couple of friends that are chiefs that have delivered the first one. It's the uh, like the beginners 
level uh, for third class, basically PO3 indoc. And they got a bunch of like formal feedback uh, on course critiques and stuff that was all really, really positive. So, uh, and then the Chiefs said it was great on their end too. Like they really enjoyed it and got a lot out of it, the discussions and stuff because it's facilitation less death by PowerPoint. So, so yeah, I'm, I'm hopeful as well. Um, I think it's a giant step in the right direction how the implementation works and what effect it has down downstream. Oh, absolutely. Shrug. I mean, Shrug. the, the current model is treated more like an administrative burden than uh, an enrichment and learning opportunity. So anything right. that, that breaks away from that, this is a burden on the unit, uh, into something else that, that can only be a positive development. Right. Right. hundred percent agree. I'm really interested in in you explaining the idea of the Chiefs board being too self-selecting because I have my issues with the way they're selected in the whole Navy advancement system. But uh, talk about the requirements to make chief, allowing the unqualified sailors to advance and then the board itself being too self-selecting. Before I dig into this, let me uh, establish a nice little uh, a nice little out here. Um, Sure. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, disclaimers I'm, are fine, man. I do it all the time. I'm just an LS one who thinks about things, right? I'm not some sort right. of leadership guru meditating on the mountain with five PhDs under my belt. Right. Obviously, never, never been at an actual board, right? Right, right. Um, so, as as far as the requirements uh, allowing unqualified sailors to advance to chief, I think that's a, that's a fine place to start. Uh, when you when you look at the guiding principles and the precepts and stuff, uh, there's they say you have to take the best and fully qualified, right? And all of the ratings they've got there, they've got their little rating ladder. Uh, these are the wickets that you're expected to hit. And then the board is immediately given an out, right? Uh, you can't penalize people for having non-standard career paths, which, by the way, I think is a, that's a great thing, right? Right. Um, if somebody wants to do special projects, you should absolutely right. not penalize them, especially if they perform, you know, that sustained superior, superior performance, okay? But in a few cases, what I've seen, especially in communities that have an unhealthily high advancement level. Yeah. Some, you know, the ones that 5% pick up chief every year. That's not so much a problem. It's the ones that have got the high double digits um, where these are problems where they're. I guess the the best way to illustrate this is via example. When I was leaving my my last command, I was turning over the the shop to uh, another LS1. He had about seven years on on the Navy. Uh, he had done his sea tour and then he had gone on recruiting duty and somehow, uh, impressed the hell out of the board, picked up chief. I think he had his anchors on right around the eight year mark. Right. Uh, this, this gentleman, he had left sea duty as LS two, right. Um, gets mapped to first on recruiting duty and now he's a chief. So he's, he's never been an operational LPO. Right. Uh, he's right. got that EP time and rate waiver, which is another thing that I don't necessarily agree with. You, right. know, you think about all of these, all of these quals and, and all of the experience that you can't teach. You just have to wait for the moment to show up. Um, yeah. You know, and it, this person obviously didn't have any of that. I, I haven't heard a lot about uh, sailors in low advancement rates having that complaint, but the ones in, you know, where the work is hard and the civilian careers are, uh, exceptional. I, I hear a lot of complaints like that. Yeah. Know. And in my experience as like a, a passionate developer of chiefs, 
the ones that I worry the most about are are those those ones where especially so I, I deal a lot with nukes because nuclear submarines so um, and they use rank as a, a retention tool which I hate oh, yeah. just pay them more just pay them more money yeah. like I, I don't care at all you're already giving them re- obscene bonuses no one wants to be a nuke that's not a nuke so it's like just go ahead and throw money at them I pay them more money every month I don't care. Um, but to give them rank, it's going to stunt their growth along the way. And I've seen it so many times where you have, they call a staff pickup nuke. I don't know if you ever heard of that, but um, they are, go through their regular two years or what, two, two and a half years of nuclear pipeline. And then at the tail end of that, they're selected because presumably they did well academically and performed well while they were there to be a staff member. So they turn around as soon as the school's over and start teaching it or helping teach it. Uh, and they do like another year or two there. So by the time they get to a ship, they've been in the Navy for like four years. And because of the nuclear pipeline, they're handed their third class crow when they finish one of the schools. And then they can star reenlist for a second Chevron. So a lot of them are second classes with no warfare device or real practical life experience. And then I've seen probably half a dozen times they show up to a submarine and they're filling out their check in sheet and find out they made first class. And so then I've got a first class petty officer with zero operational experience that's trying to walk around and like tell people what to do. And and more than one time I've had like a fully qualified second class nuke just like with that look of obscene frustration on his face come up to me as a duty chief on a submarine. It's kind of like, I, I don't know, I think they call them section leaders on surface ships or it depends on the size, but I'd senior enlisted running the duty section on a, on a submarine comes up to me and it's just like, this guy won't listen to me. I don't know what to do. Like It's like, he's just, he's doing that. Well, you can't talk to me like that. I'm a first class petty officer in the United States Navy. And it's like, you're unqualified, barely know your way around the submarine. Shut up and listen to him. He's fully qualified. He's trying to train you. It stunts your growth a lot. You you get a six, seven year chief. Uh, I, it's, it's really hard to overcome that. There are definitely some, just pipe hitting super intelligent guys that I've dealt with that have, have overcome, like have been open to the criticism. They felt unprepared and were self-aware and and humble enough to say, I'm not prepared. Please teach me. And we're constantly in dialogue with us. And those are the ones that when they're ready to receive like that, you can, you can build them up. But again, the, the frustrating part for me is there used to be like a time requirement. Like you couldn't make it earlier than, and I think it was 12 years. I'd have to go back in older versions of the advanced manual and actually look. It was called, um, I think it was TAFMS, like T-A-F-F-M-S. I no, think it was like an acronym for... That's correct. Or am I, am I butchering that? No, it's... it's I would I just call it TAFMS. It Total Federal yeah, ta- yeah. Active Military Service. Yes, yeah. So, and they, but there used to be like metrics, like you can't make chief earlier than this. And that's I I don't understand why they remove that other than a quota driven system like somebody's spreadsheet dictated it and they're like, what can we do to fix this? Oh, just remove those metrics that are there for a really good reason. And yeah, it, it it's really dangerous. You and you end up with leaders that uh, we say we're a product of our experience, blah, blah, blah. And it's like how, you got a work center, especially one with like a fleet returnee first class that's got like 14 years in and has more quals and experience than their chief. Like, how's how's that supposed to work? I, how is he supposed how's that chief supposed to get taken seriously right I, I unless they just humble themselves and are like teach me and and 
which should happen anyway, because you, you can end up in a, in a scenario no matter what. I, every submarine I've gone to has been a different platform. So I've always had to be that that guy where I'm just like, hey, teach me about this new submarine I'm on because I don't know my way around. And it's like a submarine's a submarine, but there's a lot of differences as you go from from class to class. So, yeah, it's just there's a lot about that that I hate, especially the using rank as an incentive, because it just sets these these chiefs when they get to that point up to fail like they don't get the opportunity to do all the things that like chiefs who go through all those experiences in leadership positions get they don't get to gain all that knowledge and experience no i i absolutely agree i think there's uh there's a lot of other ways that uh that the current system lets uh unqualified people uh, advance um one of the things that i've that i've thought a little bit about um, certain communities they've got hard stops for eligibility, right? Like you have to qualify whatever supervisory watch. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Like nukes, which, but it's for later pay grades, but yeah. yeah. Uh, I think, I think the Navy could do itself a a great service by expanding that across more rates, right? You you have to have whatever professional certification or watch or, um, I don't know, delegation letter or something. Uh, yeah. If you don't have it, you're not qualified. You're not board eligible, right? 100%. I, I, think, I think that you could definitely make this work in a way that doesn't penalize people that uh, that have to do uh, special duty. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I think you could just through communities, you would just you could establish an LPO at sea or equivalent. And it's just like the or equivalent would be each community going through their normal career progression and saying, okay, this is or equivalent. Cause like you look at like CTs, a lot of them, if they, they may go to sea or they may deploy with some kind of expeditionary force, or they may just be in some, I don't even know data center or something like wherever they hang out and do their (laughs) job at, but it's like, there's going to be an equivalency in their shop somehow. Right. And it's that, I would love to see hard stops built in, but I think that you always you're you're always going to end up with the pushback of then the inventory is going to plummet because of opportunities. I think the or equivalent could fix a lot of that, but yeah, you know, I'm not a Manning guy, so I don't know. Yeah, oh, totally lost my train of thought there. <laughs> yeah, I think we're I, we haven't talked about initiation at all. I think that was the next. Yeah, initiation initiation. I think. Um, Basically, if I were going to rewrite uh, my paper, I would just roll initiation into all the – it's just another PO in doc because it's yeah. it's command-led, right? And there's a huge right. amount of variability. I'm, I'm sure that there are some commands that do it exceptionally well and there are some commands right. that do it exceedingly poorly, right? But just yeah. be- – You're not wrong. <laughs> <laughs> just because it's it's uh, command led, there's a huge amount of variability, right. right? And it's it's six weeks. It's late in a in a sailor's career. Yeah, you know, without something to build on, what are you supposed to put this capstone on? Right? You haven't you haven't put the right. arch. So it's it's just not it's not good value, right? Um, yeah, you you're exactly right. I, I think that. They, so they're developing these ELD courses. I think that a master course document, some IGs and a curriculum could replace this very easily where it's super transparent in that they're, they go to a classroom and it's a finishing school, essentially. And they are trying to, with the Inlick ELD courses, trying to build that arc. But um, I will say that there are certain things during the initiation process at the very end for like the uh, capstone event for initiation, the final night, that... There's a lot of value in 
as far as clarifying some of the lessons uh, because unfortunately we're in this position where we're trying to condense it all into six weeks and that sucks and it's not as effective as it could be. But in the absence of there being another structure, there are, there are a lot of lessons that can be learned about um, how to succeed in the current construct of being a chief that it's very valuable. So it's when you get to the end of it, there's some really, there's some cool events that happen at the end. Uh, Some of it heritage driven, some of it uh, just to really complete the mental shift of like, Hey, this isn't about you anymore. You're here to be a leader of sailors. You're no longer just the technician on the deck plate, et cetera. It's that I, I think there's a lot of value in it. And I don't think that, obliterating the whole thing would be the answer but I, your your point uh, on it it's it's too little too late is 100% correct <laughs> like i'm not i'm not saying it's it's the way that it's modeled right now uh is the way that it should continue to be at all uh i think there's a lot to be improved on yeah so um when i was listening to the uh the master chief kingsbury uh, interview that you did um i was yeah. i really enjoyed the uh personal and expert power base uh, discussion that the two of you had. Um, right. I was reading something that somebody else wrote about it, and they said that they would really like that to be uh, to be developed further um, in these yeah. sort of discussions. Funny, but um, funny story. I actually did. So I didn't call it something in that vein, but if you go listen to uh, it was leadership confidence. It's an episode I did a while ago, probably a couple years ago at this point. Uh, that was like the whole episode was talking about power bases. <laughs> Uh, it's just me talking about it. I would definitely like to have a discussion on just that topic with someone. And I'm going to explore that further somehow. But I meant to, I kept meant to like copy and paste a link for people that had brought that up. Um, but I did do an episode on it a while back. Yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, when we started this thing, I, I had intended to sort of uh, weave the personal and the expert power bases um, into the, the talk here because I... I feel like it, it meshes very well with the sort of things that I've been thinking about, right? So when we talk about like um, the the failure to prepare people for uh, for leadership positions and all the failures of PO indoc and uh, selecting unqualified people, right? We're talking about specific ways that uh, the chief's expert power base is being eroded, right? Right. Um, uh, Initiation uh, is sort of a, a good segue into the way that the chief's personal power base uh, has been eroded by the, the structure of the mess. Um, yeah. So, so as I said earlier, uh, the the gulf between E six and E seven is a mile wide, especially when you compare it to the gulf between E five E six. Um, yeah. All right. When you when you take all these people out of the crew's mess and you put them in the chief's mess and they get a different uniform. Right. They become uh, they become someone else. Right. You've you've created an in-group, out-group dynamic. Right. Where some people are right. in the chief's mess and other people are out of the chief's mess. Um, yeah. And uh, humans excel at creating in-group, out-group conflict. There's uh, this one of the one of the key drivers in, in history, I think. Um, yeah, I no, I agree with you. And it's it's. uh it's something that I I've always been a little confused by why we structure the way that we do. Um, I, I, there is value in the separation in certain ways at certain times, but I, I think there could be a lot less of it and still be extremely productive if, and more productive than we are now because of the, some of the reasons we talked about previously where, uh, it would break down the, some of the adversarial 
like thought process or comparisons where we're like, you know, they're not like us. They dress differently. They talk differently. They compare themselves or they like we like we have a different title to address them by. Like they're not sailors anymore. They're chiefs. They're um, they're in their own little clubhouse. They do their own little things to the point that we take more pride in our own organization than we do the organization as a whole. And that makes absolutely zero sense. Like it doesn't and it's not productive. Right. Right. Right at the beginning, uh, we talked about uh, the fundamental attribution error and the negativity bias. And you're kind of creating this perception uh, that most chiefs are bad. Right. And then um, right. then you, you take these chiefs and you separate them out uh, into an out group. Uh, you know, an in group and an out group, and now you're labeling this entire this entire out group uh, as bad, right? And that's the kind of thing that that people uh, sort of unintentionally latch onto, um, and I, I think that that's what's driving a lot of those uh, a lot of the the division between the blue shirts and the mess is this in group right. out group dynamic. I think the the perception of the I'm not in, I'm not in that group and even in both ways. Right. So like the blue shirts perception of, uh, I'm not in the chief's mess. So there's all these differences between us. And then the chief's mess kind of after that transition happens. And I think it's more egregious in the chief's mess for a lot of reasons, right? You used to be in the group, right? You used to be a blue shirt. So you should have the ability to straddle that line and the context to understand their issues and to make sure that the divide isn't as big as it is right now. But, you know, people also excel at forgetting where they came from, apparently. So they get in there and then uh, they create this like they kind of assimilate and create this like now I'm in my own group and then they they lose themselves in that and create this. Well, God, if these guys would just get their stuff together, like I wouldn't have to have all these problems and blah, blah, blah. And it's like they start expressing frustration based on their experience inside the new group instead of remembering what it was like to be in the in their previous group and applying that knowledge to dealing with all of the issues. But then even the ones that I think do do that, the ones that that lean on their prior experience and try to think about it through the prism of okay, when I was a junior sailor, what did I want from a chief? Um, You still run into issues, especially with sailors that have encountered bad chiefs of it's just really hard to overcome their like disdain for chiefs. Like, cause I'm not just this guy, right? Like I'm not just the person that I am and that's developed and they're not going to judge me only based on the way that I've treated them. I'm going to have to overcome that bad taste they have in their mouth, which I've accepted as part of my job at this point, but it's it, we're we're shooting ourselves in the foot. We're creating this problem for ourselves. We're creating these barriers for ourselves, so that when I walk into a brand new work center, I'm not going to be trusted. <laughs> and so now I have to not just establish my myself as a leader and establish trust with these sailors, but I have to overcome all of those negative experiences, perceived or real, that they've had with those past leaders. And it's 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 difficult to do. I, I experience it just in the conversations I have. Uh, in relation to the podcast where it's like they, everybody knows I'm a senior chief. I'm not hiding it. So when I have these conversations, it's hard to convince people. No, really, you can trust me. Come talk to me on the podcast. <laughs> like I'm, I'm not going to dox you. I'm not going to burn you. It's not going to turn into a YFG speech where I'm judging you or just like crapping on all your opinions. Like I really want to have this conversation. And so I have to, I find myself spending this, using the same tools I do to overcome that 
trust issue in a work center in a new in a new place that I walk into within these conversations with junior sailors on Reddit or in emails or messages that I get where I'm trying to convince people like, no, like this is <laughs> this is really what I want. I really do want to have this conversation. I'm not I'm not trying to set you up so that I can just like destroy you on a podcast or something. Right, right. Yeah, the um that uh that gap in that trust there, it really Especially for certain types of, of uh, junior sailors, it creates a, an environment where it's difficult to communicate uh, issues and problems, up, right? And that's, that's right, another problem. Right. Um, that's, yeah. that's where the perception of a problem becomes an actual problem, right? Even, yeah, though, even though the chief's mess on your boat or my carrier or whatever may be an outstanding chief's mess, you've got a, you've yeah. got a huge number of sailors out there just don't trust uh, yeah. Right? So, yep. uh, so that their communication with you is often poor, right? And poor communication is a, is a key ingredient in a, in a recipe for bad leadership. Right. I right. Mean, obviously, right. um, you can't fix a problem if you don't know that it exists, you know, and all right. of the biggest problems, they don't come out of nowhere. Somebody somewhere, probably one of my LS threes <laughs> knew about it weeks ago. <laughs> so much for being quiet, right? It's uh, all right, man. We'll get through it. All right. But yeah, these <clears throat> big problems, uh, they, just, they don't just come out of nowhere, right? Somebody somewhere right. knew about it weeks ago. And if, if you find a big problem, it's because somebody didn't tell you. And there might be a good chance that they didn't tell you because they don't trust you. Uh, right. way, way back when I, uh, I was, uh, DCPO, um, I was getting a lot of training with, uh, with the DCC and he liked to tell me, um, well, he liked to tell absolutely everybody he can fix mistakes, right? But he can't fix cover ups. Um, yeah. when your when your guys feel like they can't come to you for some, some reason, you're going to stop fixing mistakes and you're going to start dealing with cover ups. Right. Yep. Yeah. I, super troubling to me in that like I built something into my toolbox on my last ship uh, where it was like I recognize that enough to like recognize situations where I had to send my second class to go find out what was going on <laughs> like I was like hey man go interject yourself in here start asking those questions and having that conversation so that CS3 will actually tell you what's going on and then you can come give me the data that I need and I will only use what I need to solve the problem so that they don't feel like they can't trust me mm-hmm. anymore. Like it, it's nuts. And it's, I eventually I feel like with each sailor, I would, I would break down those barriers to a point where they trusted me and would come to me because they knew I was actually concerned with taking care of them. Not with like, I'm not going to throw the book at you because I had a guy bunch of issues right i've talked about him on the podcast before where he came to me on a like a last chance like he was a guy that had gone to mass two different times for ari's all of which were based on personal life issues that he was not getting the help he needed with when he was at work he was a superstar like he would go on deployments with several different submarines did really really well um and then when he would get back him and his wife would argue and there was alcohol involved and he would get in trouble (laughs) and so he their commodore told the chief they were separating him like he had the paperwork was done and he was getting to get separated and then the commodore for whatever reason had a change of heart and said look chief if you can find a boat for this kid i'll i'll give him a a last chance uh and so 
my buddy called me and was like, Hey, I got this kid. I'm like, yeah, send him down. I got it. Like worst case scenario. I, he comes on deployment with us, gets home, does it again. And he gets separated and we tried, right. I'll do everything I can for him. But best case scenario is what happened, which I mean, the kid and he, I had issues with him, but I managed those, uh, where he did a deployment with us, came back. There was some small issues that, and then, uh, did another deployment with us. And then the marriage started falling apart and he showed up to work late one day and he was, I couldn't like, they told me he showed up, but I couldn't find him. And where, where is he? And, and my CS2 is like, look, he's in the storeroom. I can smell alcohol. And I'm like, God damn it. Like, <laughs> and so I go in there and I have a conversation with him. I'm like, look, this is the, like, we're going to have this conversation and you're going to tell me the truth. And then we're going to go from there. And he did. And I was like, all right, sit, sit in here, do what you got to do. Uh, don't do it again. And he's like, he didn't drive. He had somebody come pick him up. He did. He made a lot of smart decisions because he knew that I would take care of him. Thank God. And we had that conversation and, and moved forward and it worked out where he did really well and he got mapped and he's on shore duty now. And he, the, the marriage ended, thank God. And now, now he's doing really well. And the, and all the, all the issues that he had were worked out, but it was like a, even just making those judgment calls. Like, yeah, I mean, by the book, I should have put him on report, but it's like, you know, uh, did I really need to, was the context surrounding that issue something that I needed to drop an anvil on his head for, or did I need to use that opportunity to help him? Cause on top of being a leader, I'm just a decent human being that is here to help these guys out. So yeah, I, it kills me that that type of trust issue exists. And then even that I had to build things into the way I made decisions just so that I could get, get these guys taken care of where I had to like, Hey, CS2, uh, this is, this one's you dude. Cause they're not going to tell me what I need to know. And I can't take care of them with incomplete information. So I need you to go find out what the hell's going on. Um, so, uh, I think, I think the, the very first step, uh, well, I shouldn't say first step because a lot of these things can be done concurrently, right? Uh, but one of the things that, that we should be doing, um, the fleet needs to take a take a good hard think about what the role of the chief in the 21st century is, right? Uh, like like you right. and Master Chief Kingsbury talked about revalidating the you know the guiding principles and things like that, right? What exactly yeah. is it that we want out of our chiefs, right? Um, so you know, so when people talk about uh, fixing the mess or or closing that gap or whatever. Um, yeah. Sometimes I like to ask, fix it so it does what exactly, right? Um, right. And it, it seems to be that there's uh, there's sort of uh, two mindsets out there. Um, as far as the blue shirts go, I couldn't tell you what chiefs think the mess should be or, you know, what divos think the mess should be, right? But there's um, yeah, there's some group of people that think that uh, the role of the chief and their real value lies in the technical expertise. And then there's other people who are like, please keep chief out of my work center. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I've got other problems um, that I can't solve, but chief can solve. And, you know, they're, right. they value the chief more for their uh, managerial leadership expertise and their, their knowledge of special programs like Simeo, Sapper, EO, whatever. Right. right. Um, I mean, one of, one of the things that I, that I like to ask uh, the few chiefs that I feel comfortable with this asking is, you know, do you think your value comes from your technical expertise, right? How well you work your equipment or is it from your, your leadership and managerial skills, right? Does your value come from how yeah. well you work your division? I mean, yeah. And I think it's, 
it shifts. So I definitely think as a brand new junior chief, it was my technical expertise. Uh, so my like base, I, cause I, and I was a little unique in that I, I walked into my second submarine as a CS1 LPO eight months later, I made chief and state as the chief. So I was already functioning in that role as a technical expert. Um, and I, that was where my value was then. It definitely shifted. Uh, I went to the A school as an instructor, and it it over that three year period, I shifted more towards leadership, less towards technical expertise, which is ironic because I was in an A school. Um, and then when I got back to my next boat, for sure, as a senior chief, my value was as a leader and a manager, and less as a technical expert. Not that. Uh, and, f- and this is all my perspective for me. I don't know that this is the answer for everybody, but it, my experience, um, is a, it's a good compass and a good, like a good way to guide sailors. Like, Hey, I have done all these things that you're trying to figure out. So while you could probably quote the book better than I can, I I've stepped on all the landmines that you haven't yet. So I think it's kind of a, a, a in between where, I'm at a place now where I'm evaluating all of the operations as I go down on submarines. And I find myself routinely having to go back to a book because there's so many of them and they're so huge that I've had to shift so much of my focus to other things like the leadership and managerial stuff that I find myself not being as up to speed as I used to. So I'm like, somebody will tell me during an inspection, they'll basically argue a hit and they'll be like, hey, that's not, I don't think that's true anymore. And I'll have to go in the book and I'm like, oh, well, I'll be damned. Like, and it's not, it's not real anymore. Um, And I just find myself like, I'll I'll get to a thing and I'll kind of forget how to do it. And I'm like, damn, like I need to go get a book and I'll do that. And it's fine. But am I, really the technical expert at that point. If, if that's where I'm at, I'm not on the cutting edge of everything like a first class petty officer running a work center is. Um, so I, I think it, it's a gradual shift. I don't think you can say like chiefs are not the technical experts. I think you'll find that most young chiefs are still very much immersed in that technical expertise aspect because they just took over a division and their only job is, is guiding that division. Um, I think unfortunately we've, established a lot of milestones required for advancement that take that first class petty officer's attention span away too early from technical expertise. And I think that's being recognized by a lot of people as a problem and something that needs to get fixed. And that's how you end up with even some young chiefs that are not technical experts. Um, but yeah, for me, I would say, especially now at this point, for sure, leadership and managerial stuff. I will definitely not for a second sit there and say that I'm the technical expert on everything, even though people sometimes still have that expectation. All right. I mean, uh, I want to point out once again, I'm, I'm just LS1, thinks about things, right? I got a Dixie cap, right. not, a, uh, not a combination <laughs> cover. Oh, that's right? all right. But uh, when yeah. I take a look at the tail end of... Uh, the enlisted uh, enlisted career path, right? Sort of the the lofty goals wind up being things like uh, department LCPO, COB, CMC, Fleet Force Master Chief, and so on, uh, which are definitely not technical experts, right? Um, For sure. So yeah. um, you know, I'm I'm just kind of wondering, uh, maybe maybe the role of the chief should be recognized as going into taking one foot out of the technical expertise and start putting some toes in the, the managerial and leadership skills. Um, yeah, I for sure think it should be. I think the work, I think the, the basically like the apex of technical expertise is probably 
work center supervisor or LPO, like right. I, like somewhere oh, in there. Sure. I, I think that's that's where it's you're going to find the highest level technical expert, and unless it's an alternative like special programs type career path where because you you see those guys too where. Like I have friends that are in submarine special programs that they are very much technicians still. And that's, but that's, it's out of necessity because of the mission, right. et cetera. So yeah, I definitely, I, I think that's the apex and I think that it should be baked into the cake. You know what I mean? It's a little cook joke. Uh. Uh, that chiefs should absolutely be starting to make that. Tr- like you're, you're putting on your combo cover. One foot is firmly planted in institutional expertise. And I think that was, I think maybe they had competing priorities when they came up with the mission vision guiding principles, but I think that's, that was kind of the intent. But as you get a new CNO or a new MCPON, everybody's got new ideas. So you end up with this like push pull, like we're institutional experts. No, we're technical experts. And then it gets kind of muddled where you run into problems with that. And some, sometimes too, I think it needs to be trained into the chiefs as they come up or even the first classes and second classes as they come up that, that transition needs to start there and you need to start to let go a little bit and trust your technical technical experts because of course I'm going to trust like for me I'm going to trust a second class that is in there every single day doing the maintenance and in the books and in the MRC cards and and like I'm going to believe you when you tell me that this is the problem and this is what we should troubleshoot I'll back you up I might provide you some top cover by digging into a book and making sure and like just being like yeah no I think you're right and go in that direction but that's what it should. It should be like an oversight, guidance, experience, planning, managerial stuff, like not thinking that I'm going to dictate to that second class that clearly has a higher level of knowledge, book knowledge, maybe, but knowledge and is constantly in there doing the thing every day with their hands that, of course, they're going to have a really high level of knowledge and probably be the technical expert as a first class work center supervisor. Right. No, one of the one of the things that I I feel like uh, the the perception is is um, the mission of the chief, like you said, kind of gets muddled a little a little bit every time we get a new uh, a new McPon, a new CNO. The mission gets a little right. bit muddled. Um, so perhaps the fleet should just uh, pick a pick an endpoint, right? This is what a chief is, and make deliberate moves to go there, right? If you're going to say chiefs are firmly one foot managerial experts, right, with their institutional knowledge. Uh, maybe we cut back on chief billets a little bit and we open up warrant one to, you know, more rates or whatever. Right. Yeah. Right. I think, yeah. And I, I, I have to dig into that. I saw the warrant one thing and I have no idea how it works, <laughs> but like, I was like, that's interesting. And I think that, yeah, the, the warrant thing, um, it, yeah, it should be, it, unfortunately they're probably also pulled in that same direction, but the warrant thing being like, if you wanted to just continue to go down the technical expertise route, that's kind of what they're there exactly. for. But at the same time, they're filling a division officer role half the time. So they're going to get pulled in, in an administrative and managerial direction a little bit. All right. One of the uh, one of the other concurrently uh, things that can be done concurrently that I would like to see um, as far as I know, there's never been any sort of like fleet wide survey, command climate survey, if you will. Uh, what right. what's the perception of chiefs across all the communities and all the ratings? And you right. know, is it is it true that we actually have this incredibly uh, negative perception fleet wide, or is that confined largely to surface ships? Do we right. see this in FMF or not? And if we don't, what's different about those communities? Right. 
just trying to find differences in these communities. Maybe some community has got some strength that we can import into the other communities and kind of help this problem along. You know, right. Yeah. I'm, I, I'm interested to hunt down like a Navy SEAL or some, somebody in that type of community. Cause I, we're small on submarines, but we're not that small like that. We're not a 14 man right, team or right. whatever. I don't know how big a SEAL team is, but I'm interested in having that type of a conversation to see because I, I don't think they have those issues. But at the same time, I think those chiefs and those teams, a lot of those guys are still operators too. And then eventually they get pulled out and they're at like the special warfare groups doing a more managerial leadership style role. But I, I think based on the things I've, I've like the, I listen to a couple podcasts and stuff and I I've gathered some things just by listening, but I by no means have any experience with it and haven't gotten to have that type of conversation. So I'd be super interested if there's any seals or I, I am, I'm about to have a conversation with an EOD chief. So I, I could probably talk to oh, him about it. Sounds interesting. Um, yeah, I, he, he was exactly like, he's like, I want to talk to you about EOD stuff and get some of that info, information out there for people, but uh, also the leadership and chief stuff. And I was like, oh, cool. Cause that's exactly, I, I have questions. <laughs> so like, yeah, I definitely, uh, I, I'll, I'll definitely integrate that in the conversation. But yeah, I think that, I think we're on that, the right track there, but it, how do you, how do you apply that to a gigantic unit and how would that work? I don't like I don't know that that necessarily would translate so much as just humanizing a chief and saying, Hey, you need to be out there on the deck plate, which we kind of already say it just doesn't get enforced. Right. Well, one of the, yeah. one of the frustrating things for me, um, uh, there's no, nobody has any access to any information, right? So when I talk about this and when I think about this and when you talk about, um, you know, problems with the chief's mess and, and this division, everybody's talking about perceptions. Uh, nobody actually knows like no joke what is going on right it, like you're talking about navy wide right navy wide you know right yeah it's like we don't have data right we we don't all we know is that there's this perception out there and it seems to be everywhere right but we don't know how pervasive that perception is we don't know exactly how toxic that perception is like right said, we don't I, know if some communities are immune or not so i think getting yeah. getting hard data on this would be um Incredibly yeah. valuable, especially I, when it comes to reintegrating uh, the mess and, and the blue shirts a lot. You go, oh, well, we don't have we don't have this stark division and these problems in the aviation communities. So let's see how their chief's mess does things and import some of those right. practices into the surface fleet. Right. Right. Without I, these numbers, I, I don't really see how you can yeah. get how you can get at a fix that's not a fix based on speculation. Yeah, I definitely don't think that we would ever arrive at a place where we're changing the mission vision guiding principles and refocusing and reestablishing like what what we are as an organization being chiefs and like what we what we do, what the Navy needs us to do without that kind of kind of measured data and research. But at the same time, I think that the conversation is necessary to get somebody to care enough to, <laughs> to gather that type oh, of data. Absolutely. You know what I mean? Like I, and I, I think in the absence of that data, it's, it's going to continue to be worth having because it's perceived on a large enough scale that there are meme sites <laughs> like that have God, I think some of them are over six figures as far as followers uh, and likes. I know or exactly whatever. what you're talking about. You, you know, yeah, you know, you exactly know what I'm talking what you're about. Talking so it's about. like, 
if you if you're looking at a force of a little north of three hundred thousand, and you're telling me that a hundred thousand or a hundred twenty five thousand, probably, I don't know what twenty, thirty, forty percent of which are veterans. Like, okay, that's still a huge number of it's people massive. that are just destroying us on a regular basis. So I feel like this has been festering so long that I'm I could I could predict the data a little bit. I do think it's super necessary for us to do that type of research and, and measurement. I, and I'm kind of surprised it doesn't already happen. Like I know they could probably pull some metrics from, so they have obviously Simio survey data for every UIC is retained. Like you could go down to Diomi. I think it's in Florida. I had a friend in the army that was working there, but uh, they're equal opportunity, something Institute, a defense equal opportunity management and something Institute. I can't remember the <laughs> acronym, but they're like the equal opportunity organization that it, they do all the research. They are responsible for the DOC surveys and everything else. They have all the data from the DOC surveys that I think you could pull some definite metrics from that. There's, there's senior enlisted effectiveness questions and stuff like that in there. So you could pull that data. And then there's, and I'm, I'm probably going to butcher the name of this, but I was just talking to my CMC about, I asked him, I was like, Hey, how do you evaluate a unit cob, like a, a senior enlisted on a submarine? Because when I coming up, I was told it was like cleanliness, preservation, stowage grades on an inspection. And that was it. And he's like, oh, my God, come on. Like, you can't think that's true. And I'm like, I don't. But that's why I'm asking. So he showed me this data. And it's like, um, I think the name's going to escape me. But it, he he has the ability to they pull data from what on submarines. We have a program called CTQS. It's like a training qualification tracking system. So they can pull like. Uh, data on how many of your people are qualified, the things they're supposed to be qualified and how many people are delinquent. Um, they can pull... I'm trying to think. There's some other systems where they can pull like data on how effective we were at certain things at the unit level. And based on those metrics, he can he can use all that data, plus his experiences evaluating them in person, plus the inspection grades, plus everything else, and try to in context, create a picture of, okay, this is where I'm going to grade this guy out and, and rank him and, and etc. So I think that some of the data probably already exists. So that might not, we might not even need like a whole Navy wide command climate survey in that vein, but I think it would be valuable anyway, especially if it was a big robust survey with the ability for sailors to like type, not just a multiple choice question or a number grade or whatever. Well, uh, yeah, that, uh, the system you were talking about, your, your cob being able to pull qualification data. Uh, we opened this, with a, a very brief discussion of the Shiloh. So I think um, yeah. you just got to keep that in the back of your mind. If you're only looking at that sort of uh, objective right. criteria, right? How many people are right. qualified? How much time do we spend at sea? Blah, blah, blah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. That can, that can absolutely mask some serious festering toxic leadership issues. Right. And he was, it wasn't just that. Those are definitely in the, in the calculus. Oh, right, it was, right, right, right. Um, I'm, I'm it was uh, he. I'm trying to think of what they they had the Deox stuff, um, and I don't know what the metric was, but they had. Uh, I think it was like the the judgment of the cob because there's a there's always questions on it for us on uh, on the cob slash CMC like what what's their effect effectiveness do they take care of the crew blah 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 there's always a couple of questions uh, and then you'll pull from comments but there was there was a, a metric from that in there as well. God, I wish I had it in front of me. There was a whole bunch of information. It was it was pretty interesting. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I was just saying in the context of sort of a, a Navy-wide approach, you've also got to – you can't look at just that 
strict objective stuff. You've also got to look at, you know, other right. things, but, but, uh, right. Right. But yeah. Then I was thinking, uh, once you know where it is that you, you want the chief's mess to be right. And you've taken a look at the community, seen who's closest to it. And, uh, you're starting to form a plan of how you're going to get there. Um, the, yeah. uh, the key way that you, that I think the mess is shaped is by who you select for inclusion in the mess. Right. Um, right. So obviously, uh, I would I would very strongly recommend that somebody take a, a good hard look at the bare minimum board eligibility requirements for picking up chief, right. especially if you're intentionally going to attempt to shift the institution, uh, you know, one way or, or another. Yeah, I definitely I definitely agree with that. And like the the like we were saying before, like the establishing hard stops, like you are not eligible unless you meet the following prerequisites and that just gets your foot. That just gets you in the right. door. And then we start talking about fully qualified, best of fully qualified. Right. Right. I mean, there's, there's a, a lot of ways that you could, uh, you can go with these, um, you know, bare minimums for board eligibility, but, uh, I, I really think that they need to be, they need to be reevaluated. Right. So the other thing that I would do, um, everybody is saying that, uh, chief billets are, are, it's a quota-driven system, right? Advancement all the way up and down. Third class to uh, to Master Chief is a quota-driven system. I'm not super thrilled that it's a quota-driven system as opposed to a quality-driven system, right? So, right. Um, you know, if you're saying we need chiefs, we need X number of chiefs in these billets, but we only – we have some smaller number that's best and fully qualified, right? Um so you, you just pick some some first classes and you, you advance them to chief and you stick them in these billets. Um, you're not really you're not really putting chiefs in those billets. You're putting a first right. class in that billet and you're just calling them a chief. Um, so right. I think um, since you're just putting underqualified people in the billet anyway, why don't you just leave them at the pay grade that they're best and fully qualified for? Right. And that what's interesting about that is I find and I don't know how prevalent it is on the surface fleet, but there's a lot of jobs on submarines where, you know, it's the it's billeted for a chief, but they're done by first classes all the time. And they try to look at the full manning picture on a submarine and say, okay, if we have a first class in that lead position, we should have a chief in this one to balance it out. So to the best of their ability, they try to like for supply, there's two supply divisions on a submarine. You got logistics and you've got food service. So within that department, they try to maintain one, at least one chief. And I think it's a good thing overall to try to do that. Hopefully that that's not driving the quotas. If we're, I mean, if we're, if we're so undermanned at the chief level that we can't fit one in the department, it's pretty, the situation's dire, but they balance it out and the first classes that are in those positions do a great job. It's just getting them chief representation in the way that they would need it for rankings, emails, awards, et cetera. Like you're always going to need that um, at that level. So just having at least as long as you have a department chief that takes the time to go get the data they need to properly advocate, I think you're okay. And if you look at it from that way on a submarine, I mean, you've got five department chiefs, but you've got 20 something chiefs depending on the platform size. So I could have first classes in a lot of those positions and be perfectly fine. I think that what you're saying is is accurate in that there's a lot of jobs that can be done by a first class and will benefit them in the building experience and learning leadership lessons so that they will be ready to be a chief when the time comes. So like 
yeah, I, I definitely think that they, I, and the problem for me is like, I need to, I need to learn how those quotas are, are built. You know what I mean? Like, cause, cause I think we look at it like they're looking across the entire Navy at what jobs are billeted for a chief that don't have a chief in them and saying, that's how many chiefs we need. And I don't know if that's true. <laughs> I feel like somebody's got a spreadsheet formula somewhere that there's a bunch of co- complicated inputs, most of which we would probably think are stupid. <laughs> and then they hit enter and it crafts out a number and we're like, all right, that's what we need. And I think that they also should be a lot more comfortable at boards returning quotas, which does happen. They're allowed to do it. But from what I understand, a lot of times the board president overrules the people that come back with those quotas in their hands saying, hey, we don't have enough of fully qualified people that we're comfortable promoting. And they're like, uh-uh, no, go back and figure it out. And so a lot of times they get, their hand get, gets forced. Well, I guess uh, the last thing to go over then would be the uh, the junior ELD, right? Because um, right. the current petty officer in doc system followed by the, uh, the initiation, uh, it's just not good value, right? And yeah. I'm, I'm incredibly thankful that the Navy is working uh, on getting these uh, these new courses out brick and mortar schoolhouse they're taking it away from the command they're not making it a burden uh, you know on the on the right. work center um, so I think that's uh, that is something that a lot of people need to take a good hard look at and make sure that we get right um, I feel right. like this is something that a lot of the other services do better uh, I've got a buddy yeah. in the Air Force uh, he just picked up e6. Uh, he's got a five-week brick-and-mortar schoolhouse in Biloxi, Mississippi, and he's mm-hmm. at it right yep. now. And I'm like, "Yep, Airman leader how come program. I, how come I had I my junk signed yeah. off in 30 minutes, uh, and he gets five whole weeks? And this isn't this isn't five weeks of you know MOS or rating specific material. This is five weeks of management, leadership, and you know institutional program uh, training. Right. Um, right. So I think I think it's uh, it's important from my perspective. It's important that we get that one right uh, as the courses get developed. Yeah. Did you see the, I shared an article about the, uh, that, that was the USNI article. I was thinking about the Navy is building a community college on the model of the air force for not just leadership development stuff, but it, it sounds like the primary motivation is technical stuff like technical expertise. Like what can we do to get these guys the best training possible and use it to get them, continuing education credits, professional certifications that all translate outside of the military and it's actual college credit. But, um, they're, they're going to, sounds like they're going to build some of that stuff that, that you're talking about into that. I don't know if it's going to be all online yet. sounds like that's how they're going to start it, but definitely big leaps in the right direction. Oh, absolutely. For sure. Uh, any save rounds or alibis, man? No, no, not really. No. I'm just <laughs> even if you did that door is going to open in 30 exactly. seconds anyway. I mean, so. uh, you know, I'm, I'm just an LS one. I think about stuff. That's it's <laughs> all I can really yeah, say. Right. Yeah. yeah, man. And I, I appreciate you thinking about it, taking the time to write the point paper and communicate the stuff to me. And then uh, obviously to come on the podcast, I think conversations like this are super valuable and my getting your perspective and then in the future junior enlisted perspective other communities perspectives other services perspectives uh, are just going to keep adding to the conversation oh, right. so i appreciate your i appreciate your willingness to come on oh, right, for it. sure and uh, just just one last little tag on you know and i i know everybody sure. likes talking about how messed up the the messes and stuff um I, right i just want to reiterate 
it hasn't been my experience that the mess is filled with toxic people, right? I've had five CMCs right. and not a single one of them has let me down. Um, you know, and when I when I talk with other blue shirts and they're like, oh, chief is toxic, chief is blah, blah, blah. Um, you know, when you really try to drill into it, um, they're, they're talking about a bad situation, at, like at the bottom. Yeah, one right, situation. A, a bad yeah. situation at the bottom of it, not necessarily a bad person uh now that that doesn't mean i don't think that the effectiveness of the chief can be enhanced there's clearly ways that uh the expert and personal power bases of of, you know the mess at large could be improved um but i mean at at the end of the day this this is a conversation uh that's not about it's not about burning it with fire because it's all toxic. It's about improving it, you know, right. because it's it's not. Right. There is there is absolutely something down there we're saving. There's a lot of good people in the mess, you know. For sure. Yeah. Yeah, man. Well, thank you so much for doing this. Uh, I appreciate it. And I think people will get a lot out of it. Just, just ha- hearing these types of conversations. Oh, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. All right. I hope you enjoyed that. I'm really, really happy that we were able to connect uh, and as I said at the end, I, I thank him for being willing to do it. I think that there is a lot there. Uh, I think that the willingness of enlisted, I'm not going to say junior enlisted, this guy's been around a while, but any junior enlisted or enlisted person's willingness that's you know enlisted E6 and below, willingness to put that kind of thought and effort into the question that was posed, uh, regardless of it's of if it's this topic or any topic, it's God, it's super valuable and and then having the willingness to have the conversation with somebody like me because of the type of question I pose with the problems in the chief's mess and his willingness to have that type of a conversation and being humble enough to to recognize that he is outside the chief's mess, so he's just he kept saying I'm an Ellis one that thinks about stuff like oh, well I'm a senior chief that thinks about stuff and I think it's great. Uh, I, none of us are the unequivocal unquestioned full, like s- experts or, or like authority on everything. It's never going to be a thing. It's always, there's nuance to everything. There's always going to be a discussion to be had. And, and I think it was really cool that he was willing to have that with me. It was, n- it was n- nice for me to get that, the perspective that he had, uh, and to talk through some of those things. Because there was there was things that I I, I looked at that I was like eh, I don't know if that's true but that's a really great point that I didn't think about because I don't have his perspective right like so it was, it was really cool to do that um, I'm gonna do that more uh, with some of the uh, juniors that I have coming on uh, I got a guy that's a veteran that's gonna do it soon that went through some pretty rough times uh, and and from his perspective we're gonna talk about a pretty toxic leader that he dealt with. And then a bunch more stuff coming. Uh, I talked about it all in the grit up the grit spin the yarn, but uh, but yeah, I'm very excited for all the things that are coming. And and like I always say, if you guys ever want to have a conversation like this, do some kind of an episode, whether it's a topic, a program that you're an expert on, uh, anything, we can do it. Hit me up. Don't give up the ship podcast at gmail.com. You can Facebook message me. Don't give up the ship podcast. Or you can DM me on Instagram at DGUS Podcast. Uh, you can also direct message me on Reddit, DGUS Podcast there too. We started a sub, DGUS Podcast, <laughs> so that we can have conversations about these types of things. I will post the episode stuff in there as well as just random threads to have discussions that I'll probably do episodes about after the fact because I pull a lot from those those types of discussions because I get so much feedback and I get it blunt and unadulterated because everybody's 
that's on there. It, there's no fear of a, like reprisal or me finding out what your commander at and calling your chief because everybody's just got like screen names and there's no. I'm sure some technically savvy human could probably figure out who these people are, but like I, I can barely record a podcast. So it's like, I'm not the, I promise I'm not smart enough to figure out, nor do I have the bandwidth to devote to figuring out like who's behind the handle or whatever. So it's really cool to be able to have like just conversations with no fear of judgment or reprisal or anything like that. Like, I'm not going to call your chief afterwards. I promise. Like it's not going to happen because it would jeopardize my ability to have these conversations. So selfishly, I want that to continue, but uh, I mean, it'd be just counterproductive and immature and kind of sad, but, uh, so it, it's really cool. So the sub will be good for that. Uh, and then if you guys want to support us, dguestpodcast.com slash shop, you get all kinds of swag, it helps pay the bills. You get something cool. And then we get a little bit of money to help pay the bills. It all sits in a PayPal account that is only for the podcast and all gets reinvested. So I promise I'm not pocketing money over this. Like I'm still way in the hole if I <laughs> charted it all on a spreadsheet, but, uh, it's cool. It's a way for us to, uh, help pay the bills and the subscription fees, et cetera. So, uh, if you want to do that, dguestpodcast.com slash shop. Uh, and then I, I never ask. And so I'm going to try to start figuring it in to the, probably the end. I don't want to, I don't want to delay the beginning of the podcast. Cause you can just stop after the interview and not listen to all this. But, uh, if you could help us out with a little bit of advertising, that'd be cool. Just like share, subscribe, tell your friends. That's all I need. So if you could social media posts, the podcast, subscribe to it, rate it like with the stars thing that helps the whatever algorithm that does things with podcasts help uh, helps get us out there. Um, same thing with social media. If you share it with your friends, uh, maybe they can find it as a useful tool, but, uh, it helps, it helps get the word out. Cause I don't, I don't have the money to promote posts every five seconds. I've, tr- I've done it a few times and haven't had great results with it anyway. So, uh, I'd rather you guys just tell your friends because you know, you know, better than Facebook's advertising thing that who, who would actually care about the platform. So, uh, if you could do that, that'd be great too. uh, like, share, subscribe, rate us on iTunes, etc. And that's it. That's what I got for you today. Thank you so much for listening and don't give up the ship. <laughs>